Hello and welcome to the Gunners Pod. Is this the first pod of the season, Mike? I don't think. This is episode 50 of season number six. It's just the first one we've done in like a month or two. So uh, welcome back to the Gunners Podcast, where we do a podcast by Gunners about Arsenal and other stuff. And we have a very special panel with us tonight. And let's get right into it. Uh, we are missing two people tonight. And so we brought in the wonderful Ryan to uh, to join us on short notice. Thanks, Ryan, for coming. No problem. Thank you. Good to see you. And um, I mean, did, are you happy to know that I am now safely out of your country where you don't have to look over your shoulder every two hours and and, and, and run into me? Because it was getting a little ridiculous there in early November. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed having you here. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we we, uh, we saw each other at the 89 thing at the Barbican, which was fantastic. They did an outstanding tribute to your family. Um, the Arsene Wenger uh, event. I mean, like, and, and I saw you some other times when you didn't know I was around because I was just following you around. <laughs> and I, but I could see you looking over your shoulder like, is he there? Is he there? So, um, you know, in, in any case, oh, it was great to get to see you as many times as I did when I was over. But uh, But thanks for joining us. We're going to we're going to have some fun tonight. And um, and Andy and Owen are here because Jared is unable to be on the pod for another couple of weeks because his job involves helping people in need. Um, and with the tornadoes in in Kansas, in, in Kentucky, Kentucky, especially Kentucky, Missouri, Illinois, but mostly in Kentucky, he uh, he's been out helping people in need. And meanwhile, speaking of which, Mikey Hers is apparently sitting on the road, on the side of the road. <laughs> in the rain as his truck uh for work has has uh busted a spring or something like that so it's crazy we got jared doing good things and mikey needing good things and no doing one doing nothing that. doing absolutely nothing hey and mike i hope your insurance is good owen uh owen good to see you again uh in it's living awesome. in temporary housing uh as well <laughs> yeah something like that yeah i'm just uh floating I, I never want you to know where my actual location is so um I just keep moving. It moves smart. around. Move, yeah. It's a mistake I made and I regret. But it's, it, it's also good to see Ryan as well because I think the last time we talked to him, we were both highly intoxicated. Um, and by so both, he means me and him. Not, not, yeah, not, not you, Ryan. You were fine. <laughs> In fact, no, you were no. great. We were, we were just awful. <laughs> no, no, no. That was, that was a, that was a good night. I actually didn't. I, I didn't drink anything that day. I was just high with the enjoyment of a massive victory against Aston Villa. I mean, I, life was was good enough. Speaking of high, he lives in the Mile High City. Um, he uh, he he came up with the idea for this podcast and then left, um, kind of like you know a, a baby daddy. Um, and uh, so, welcome back to the baby daddy, Andy. Good to see you. Hey, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for having me back. I'm on, I'm on all the text messages about not wanting to pod, but yeah. Th thanks for thanks for allowing me to get on my computer, press the button, get on the website that I own and created, and and be on the podcast that I hey, own. Hey, you had to send me the digital logging code though, so That's true. you do have some power. That's true. So we also will have a fifth guest joining us uh, a little bit later in the hour, uh, a West Ham supporter who is a good friend of mine. Our kids used to play football together. I may have mentioned him on the podcast a couple of times. Oh, and you met him uh, and his son outside of London Stadium when we went there before they batted uh, Spurs on that, on that wonderful afternoon. Um, and he's uh, going to give us his views when we start to preview West Ham. And, and he also has got something special and, and serious from a, from a charitable and from a cancer standpoint that uh, that obviously this is an appropriate venue to bring up. So um, let's wait on Obama Yang 
and just talk about the positives of of, of West Ham first. Ryan, uh, same exact starting eleven, two completely different performances uh, between Everton and West Ham. So I'm, I'm almost happy in hindsight that he did start the exact same eleven, just so we could dissect. You know, is it the players? Is it the manager? Is it his tactics? Because boy, did we get a different reaction and mentality from these players from one game to the next. Yeah, we definitely did. You know, it's such a strange, such a strange way of going about it against Everton. Like, not, not needed at all. We we could have, could have easily won that game if we just attacked. <laughs> uh, I don't know why we we didn't. Well, it just the tactics seem so bizarre to me. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Mikhail fan, so. But I, yeah, I, I I admitted that that was really poor. Like the, the game was there. Um, I felt like the the Everton crowd. We gave them, you know, as I think you've seen them yesterday. They, they they're not they're not a happy bunch of fans at the minute. But for some reason, we gave them something to to believe. Um, and it was a really disheartening performance because I thought against Man United beforehand. I don't think we played well, but. I don't think we played badly, um, and I thought we did, did. If we could have got something, if we could have, if we had won that Everton game, that then that 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 all of a sudden week doesn't look too bad. But then to have those two losses, and it just feels like with with Mikel, like any time we lose a game, it's everyone, not everyone, but a lot of the fans are are kind of ready to you know to jump on him. And then when you lose two games, it's like oh. You know, you 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 hear people talking about like changing it and and stuff like that. So, well, it's really so, the first time it had happened uh, since the 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 obviously the rough August of three losses in a row to start the season. I mean, we the 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 recovery, the the reaction to a loss had so far been fairly good. Yeah, which is why yeah. I think Everton was such a stomach punch. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, the. the Saturday was really important because if 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 that was an, a, another loss or drop points, the, the situation would be, be looking really bleak. But uh, as it is, we won that game. Play, played after the first twenty minutes, which was really really poor. Uh, after that, once we we scored that goal, we we just went in went into a different gear. Um, and I thought we played really well for for parts of that match. Um, and the fact that West Ham drew as well just means that, you know, it looks like if the fixtures up until that Man City game, it looks like we could we could potentially be in a good position, but we've got to go and do the business. Yeah, I mean, Andy, the reaction for you, I mean, the, the uh, Southampton hasn't been in a really good run of form. Uh, they might be, after watching this game, the team I think is most likely to go down at this point. Mm. I mean, you know, along with Norwich, because uh, you've just got to expect Newcastle is going to pick up some points along the way. But, but Southampton. I mean, was Southampton that bad? Were we that good? What was different for you between Monday and, and Saturday? Well, I thought the game Saturday started off like the game ended Monday. I mean, there was a moment where I was like, "All right, Southampton are are bringing it," and then there was like those fluke sequence of events where we scored you know, relatively quickly during that process. And then all of a sudden we just were in cruise control, but to kind of echo Ryan, it's frustrating that 
against Everton, we play so well and then foot off the gas and we keep seeing it over and over again. And I, I can't fault Arteta too much for that because he's not probably telling him, Hey, we're in third gear. Now the players have to step up at that point. But I think it was a, I think we were awfully lucky on the, on the first goal, just out of how quickly that sequence of like being pressured by Southampton. And then what it was crazy amount of passes and we scored. And then it just seemed like the, the wheels fell off for them. Um, but I we're in. I think towards the end of the season we're going to see it more for us because we don't we're not in Europe, European football and West Ham United are probably going to go a little bit deeper in competition. But we have to take advantage of the other teams dropping points around us, and that's by beating Newcastle, showing better against United, and certainly not letting Everton do what they did. I mean that was absurd. Yeah. So, Owen, the, the the mentality of the team, I mean, after the first goal, the first goal was the um was was the 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 the, the brilliant team goal playing out of the back, right? If, mm-hmm. I, if it wasn't yeah. the header. Okay, so um I mean after that, we've been watching all season how we tend to sit back. Now there's a big debate going on about whether that's those are Arteta's safe and, and playing not to lose tactics, or as many, many more people are starting to come out, people who have been to the games people who are a little bit more clued in are saying it's the exact opposite of his tactics. It's just what the players are kind of doing out of their own fear. So we saw a very different, I mean, it's almost to the point where the first goal, whoever scores the first goal in the game doesn't matter, especially Mm -hmm. if it's us, it's whoever scores the second goal in the game that matters. (laughs) Is that, is that the feeling you get? Yeah. And funny, it's something I've been really conflicted about over this past few weeks. Um, especially really since the Liverpool game, I would say that it's sort of been prevalent. That that's what <clears throat> that's what we tend to do is that we score a goal, we sit back and we try to defend it with our lives. Which, which look, um, obviously people being at the games and I myself haven't been at the games and stuff, you do see Mikel Arteta gesturing to the players to, to get the line higher up, to press higher, to, to stop sitting so deep. But then I don't think it's coincidence that the players do sit back um on such a regular basis when that scenario does happen, when we go one nil up, you know, I find it very difficult to believe that every single player on the pitch all uh, aligned with one another say together, right, okay, we're going to start to sit back. And that's what happens because I think we've got players within our side that that's just not their natural game. You know, it's Gabriel Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Odegaard, all these players whose natural instinct is to attack. Now, to sort of play devil's advocate with myself, what I would say is that this is potentially one of the downs, downsides to having such a young side, such, such a youthful side, that when they get into these positions of 1-0 up in games, maybe where they weren't expecting to as early on as they do, that that the, their natural instinct is to panic and think, Jesus, we weren't expecting to be here, let's just hold on to this. And regardless of what the manager's saying, because I've played football, Ryan, you've played football, how often when you're standing and the manager shouting stuff at you from the sideline, do you just sit what the fuck up dickhead uh, you know you, you ignore a lot of what the manager says during game time the work should be put in before the match so i'm sort of, How much of the, do you think it's down to age owen because cooler heads older heads see the lead they know how to you know like i hate to use him as an example because everyone hates him but like a Jaka, for example knows how to Manage make it. the game, manage it, but manage the team around him, right? Mm-hmm. When he's not in the lineup, Aubameyang's fucking useless at this point. Everyone else is like 22 years old. So mm-hmm. is it something down to age where they just don't know game management yet? Which is absurd to say, but it is part of the match, right? 
I, I think <clears throat> you could say it's down to age. I would say it's down to character traits within our side. Mm. And I think that that's something we have massively lacked it. Now, the thing <clears> is, is that the character traits that have the ability to change a game and manage a game are much less prevalent in younger in younger players, which we have. But what I would say is that, like you, you and Ryan both said, is that is that we started that game very much like we ended the Everton game. I think it was Southampton had five shots with three on target before we registered our first shot, which was a shot on target, which was our first goal. And and what I mean by the traits within players within our side, um, to me, it all started with Aaron Ramsdale, the bravery to play out from the back there, to turn around and say, do you want to what? Fuck this. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and hit it long and I'm not going to do what everybody expects us to do. I'm going to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and I'm going to personally take a risk and make a difference. If it if it goes wrong, it's egg on my face. But it's people like Aaron Ramsdale that we need within our side, people like Tommy Asu, who if you watch that first goal back again, very pretty stuff, brilliant ball in from Saka, a fantastic finish from Alexander Lacazette. But watch the build-up that Tommy Asu does, and not only the build-up, the effort. He's absolutely busting his ass to get into the box and was in a prime scoring position if the ball had a, uh, fallen short um, for Alexander Lacazette. So I think that what we're now starting to see is, um, is, is traits of players that we have lacked massively o- over the last few years. And this is where... This is the last thing I'll say about my big monologue before I pass it over to you guys, is that something that's really frustrated me is people keep saying, oh, the players aren't good enough, the players aren't this. I'm not going to name them all like I've done before, but Mikel Arteta is starting 11 now, or either all players that he has signed or re-signed. Um, so they are his players, absolutely, and I don't take this thing the players aren't good enough anymore, because they obviously are. But what I will say is that whilst this gives us a bit of respite of the pressure on Mikel Arteta, we need to start winning the games that matters. And that was games like like United, like Everton. These are games that we needed to capitalise to sustain that push for top four in Champions League place come the end of the season. And they're the games that we could potentially look back on and say that we're slipping up on them. And for me, going into the West Ham game, that's absolutely one of them games. Yeah, yeah. And and Ryan, let me let me ask you something because as a uh, as a guy who hasn't played football since I was well, real football since I was a teenager, um the, the whether the, the the team decides to keep pushing forward or protect the lead. I mean, we've, we've seen both. We've seen the team push forward as of you know in the Southampton tank game. We've seen them kind of sit back and 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 try to 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 protect the lead against Everton and and against United. But is it is there a position on the pitch that really controls that? I mean, in, in my mind. You know, you can't really point to anybody other than the midfield as kind of the, the the dictators of whether we're still pushing forward or whether we're sitting back. I mean, the the offense is always going to push forward. The defense is always going to kind of hang back, and you know, with the exception of maybe a Ben White who marauds forward. So, is it the is it the midfielders? Is it the, is it the fullbacks? Who decides that? It's really difficult to say because with Arsenal, I I feel like watching it, it either feels like is play out from the back or it's just like a looping long ball that just results in us losing possession i don't and for some reason it's never it's never a ball into the like into the wide areas like do you know what i mean like obamiang or whoever's up front like just the keeper can roll it out to tomiyasu and he go like he just plays the ball down the line something different do you know what i mean it always feels like we're playing 
we play this, this, the two tactics. We either try and play it out from the back. I think we've, I think it's proven that with the amount of goals that we like, like what we scored on Saturday, that first one, we scored a lot of them under Mikel. That's that's his way of wanting to do it. But I think it's when that goes wrong, or when that, you know, when when the opposition gets a bit of confidence and presses us high or whatever, and it's like, oh, okay, that's gone wrong. That's where that's where I'm struggling with it, and I. I to answer your question, I don't know exactly who. Possibly you could say Ramsdale should be the one who be like, well, you know, I'm going to play it in there, in, into that area of the field. So, Aubameyang, can you, I, I want you to, to stretch it, you know, maybe win a throw-in up in that area. I'm just not seeing a lot of connectivity between the front and the back. I'm seeing it kind of go around the middle. And and we talked about this. I was, uh, I was in Richmond for the game, joining uh, Tom and, and Joey and Ryan doing the Richmond Gooners podcast, which was actually, it's really fun. It's very, it's very unique. Uh, if you can't figure out how it's unique, then I'm not going to tell you Mikey hers. Uh, but uh, you know, it's almost like, like what would you expect the heat map from that game to look like? To, to me, it looked like this. Um, <laughs> now this is the, this is the official heat map. Um the red is where most of the traffic is. The yellow is the second. The green is a little bit. And then when there's nothing, you've got Partey and Jaka in the middle there, just just sitting on their on their tuchuses. Um but, but see, can I can I even throw something back to Ryan there? Because just while you, you were answering Ryan, something popped into my head, and it's that Mikel Arteta's state of football to me seems like almost like Goldilocks football, where everything needs to be just right for it to work, and and and. What sort of aggravates me is the lack of variety in our performances. You know, we either go from spamming the ball down to Kieran Tierney and whacking it in from there, or whether it's forcing to play out from the back, or as you said, whether it's whacking long balls over the tops of defence. But we lack we lack variety, and for me, it's you get success through variety because then the opposition doesn't know what to expect every time. You know, if we're only travelling down one avenue of the pitch consistently, it's very easy to set up and defend against that. Do you think that that's the manager or do you think that that's the players choosing that? That Say, for example, the, the automatic link-up that people associate with Granit Xhaka playing the ball out to Kieran Tierney, for example. Do you think that these are players' connections or that these are coach things? No, I think that they're definitely coach things. I think there's, they're patterns of play that are worked on and that have brought success. Um, it's just that they haven't consistently brought success, which is the sort of the... The major group, I think. Um, it, it, I think what what you said, uh, Owen, was really about especially Arteta's team is a really good point. Is that he's got? I think he's. What I'd say is, we still haven't signed. Uh, uh, we still haven't signed a forward. Arteta still hasn't really signed a forward player in that. The last forward we signed, I think, was Pepe. If you in, if you're not including Odegaard, so he still hasn't quite got the team. I know. <laughs> you can't get the exact eleven. You, it's you know to come in and demand to spend that much money to get your exact. Yeah, because I suppose the counter argument to that would be is every other, hmm. every other coach in the Premier League has inherited other people's players as well. Yeah, so I th- but so I think I think what he's doing is he's trying to get the he's trying to get the best out of what he's got to an extent. But hmm. where where the criticism of him that I'd have is that. He hasn't adapted it enough for for when we can. We have seen examples of him do it. Like we played Lacazette and Aubameyang up, up top together and that worked for a bit. 
Martinelli's now come in and that's working. But it's just, it feels like not, none of these are quite what he wants long term. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't think he's done quite enough, Mikel, to, to make the most out of what he's got. I would say that he hasn't quite done enough. We talked at the pub actually about um, Andy about how the like it had been so long since we could anyone could remember a goal that came pretty much right up directly through the middle, and 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 the the irony was directly after we said that there was a passage of play where Lacazette had kind of a give and go and he was driving down the middle. Uh, I, I forget whether it was first half or second half. I think it was uh, it was whatever half we scored all of our goals in. Um, we were headed to the right, left to right on the screen, and and uh, and Lacazette just had a heavy touch. He waited a little bit too long to 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 pull the trigger, and 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 it was taken by the defense. But that was like the only time that it happened, which is which is why I, you know I brought up the whole heat map. Um, this is the actual heat map from the game, like literally the actual heat map, and I believe uh, this goes from left to right. And to have that kind of a gaping hole in the middle of the of the pitch. And really in the middle of the pitch here just kind of shows you there is no direct attacking going on, you know, from a from a build-up play. The only time that we really went right down the middle was was Ramsdale to Martinelli for a breakaway. Um Andy, you gotta unmute yourself. This is this is the heat map that, that Andy likes to see, by the way. <laughs> yeah. this, this is his preferred heat map, but I uh haven't done this in a while. It's hard to get the mic on. Um no, I mean, if you, if you look at tactically the way that Pep Guardiola plays at City, it's the same way. They push out wide to stretch the field, and then they try and cut back across because then you've got more people in a in a man-for-man situation. Um, I don't see that hole in the middle, Mike, being a huge problem against Southampton because my guess is the defense is high enough up where that little hole is probably where there's just space in front of them that no one's occupying from Southampton. I bet if you found like the heat map against Liverpool or a better side that retains possession, it's probably completely different. Well, yeah, it was all the heat map against Liverpool was just completely in our goal box. <laughs> yeah, it was just Ramsdale holding, just saving the ball. It's it's, it's like a red block that takes up our eighteen and then nothing else. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I think I, I I said it in the group like we as Arsenal fans don't deserve soccer. Like I, I made a joke a few, like the last time I think I was on the pod, like I'm really excited for when he wins the league with City in a year or two because we don't deserve him as a player. We like our all tactically, it's just give him the ball. That's why it's out wide all the time. It's just like, hey, give the ball to number seven. He's better than everyone else, and he just goes and does his his stuff. And I mean, it would have been great if he had scored that that goal. That just God, the shot came from nowhere, like literally nowhere. It would have been unbelievable but that's why mike we're just going out wide it's just kicked the ball to him and now daniel i thought the same exact thing i thought he said the exact same thing i'm like right when do we call it soccer and why don't we deserve it but well and we're, we're starting to not deserve uh martinelli i mean the kid doesn't know how to go backwards or forwards like he reminds me a lot of uh and i hate this comparison because people are going to just think of the legendary player but like if you gave Thierry Henry the ball anywhere on the pitch, it was, I'm going to goal and there's nowhere else I'm going to go. And that's what Martinelli's like. He has that characteristic where Saka will cut in, do a one-two. Martinelli's like, fuck it. There's six people in front of me. I'll just try to dribble through all of them. And I love it. So that's why we're going out wide is because you've got those two attacking players who will just go crazy with it. Martinelli's like when you have like a, like a 
15 month old who who recently learned how to walk and run and, and you hold them about a foot off the ground and their feet are just going like this yeah and, and you put them down on the ground and they <laughs> yeah. he's like uh he's like an alexis sanchez that doesn't slither absolute fucking snake um no but i'm not used to being what... on a podcast where i'm the one who's cursing the least of any of oh, any Ryan's gone. Oh, he Ryan. didn't didn't like that. Oh. He didn't like my Alexis Sanchez. He still get a Sanchez jersey. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> um, no, but do you want to know something that I was going? I was just going to mention when we we're talking about Martinelli there. Something that that stood out for me with not only Martinelli but this team that we're assembling at the minute too was there's a bit of shithousery within this side. I think it was for for Mart- Martin Odegaard's goal, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, <clears throat> There was a little touch from Martinelli off the ball, you know, and and I think that's things that you don't get with players like Nicola Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette. The unselfishness to throw your body between the the your man and and their and an opposition player to make space for your man, unselfish things that isn't going to get you the headlines, but makes massive differences within the game. And as I say, there are things you don't get with these so-called glamour type players but you will get with enthusiastic useful players like gabriel martinelli and i think with with gabriel there's been a a, a six-month period where he has not played mm-hmm. and i think that's been harsh and unfair and i think he's overcompensating right now because he even alluded to it in the interview like if i'm on the pitch i'm playing a hundred you know i'm going full because he wants to prove i shouldn't be dropped and, and he shouldn't be Right. Well, that's the right um, reaction. That, that's what you should. Well, do it's totally right reaction. Waiting for your turn. When you have a twenty-year-old attacking winger striker who fits essentially the same positional mold as Aubameyang, but actually wants to work for it, it just pushes Aubameyang further and further back down the pecking order. So before we get too deep into Aubameyang and Ryan, I'm interested in your in, in among everyone's uh, opinion on that. Let's talk about the the, the two biggest positives. I think. Everybody had two players' names in their mouth uh, for man of the match uh, in this game. And, you know, it was one of those games where you could really give high mark to a lot of different people. But the two people that, that everyone wanted to rant and rave about is Martin Odegaard and Tomisayu. Um, Tomiyasu, sorry. Um, and, uh, I mean, they were both immense. So pick one of them. I'm going to go around the horn, starting with you, Ryan. Pick one of them or both if you want. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But, I mean, just tell me whether what, what your thoughts are on the game that they had and, and how they've established themselves in the club. Because until recently, at least one of them was, was catching a little bit of, uh, of criticism and, and being told he deserved to be on the bench. Yeah, okay. I, I, I go. I go with Odegaard. Then um, I, I think I, I, I think the, the criticism that he was getting at the start of the season was was basically because because we had signed him and he had played for us last season. I, I honestly think I think if he had played if he hadn't played for us last season, everybody would be, have been really excited to sign Odegaard. But because he had played for us and there was. Some links with like Madison and stuff. I think like people weren't that keen on Odegaard, and he started a, a little bit slow, um, other than the free kick against Burnley. But I thought um, I thought the criticism was so over the top, really. Um, Very knee jerk. Because considering, it, I think he, I think there was a lin- an injury in there as well, and then we played Aubameyang and Lacazette, which worked for 
two or three games up, up front. So he didn't come on. And, you know, I think there'll be, I think they'll, all our attackers will have, I think Emmy at the minute is going to have a, might have a couple of games now on the bench, uh, despite how well he's played. Because, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens at, at top teams. I know we're not there just yet, but, you know, you kind of have some, some time rotation. But I think, um, I think Odegaard is, is get is getting more, I, I like him a lot when he, when he's had a few games under his belt. I thought like, like that about him last year, like he's took a while and it, I mean, funnily enough, um, when we played West Ham last year, I don't know if you guys can remember that game when it was three. Three, like, three. I thought he was excellent in that game. Uh, I, I, look, he's not. He's. Um, what was I going to say? He's not. It, uh, it's it's one of them things, Ryan. I know when you're that type of player that he's so technical and his his entire game is built around you know these finesse touches and and perfectly weighted passes and perfectly timed passes that. That you really need to have your craft honed before you you can be playing at the top of your game, and he's just one of them players that needs to have minutes under his belt to f- fully flourish, isn't he? That definitely, and I think a lot of what he does as well is like it's not always. For example, if you compare him to let's say let's compare him to Bruno Fernandez, for example, who every everything he does, Bruno Fernandez is is like Hollywoodish. So like when it works, it looks amazing, and everyone you know plays a forward pass, and it's like wow, or shoots from thirty yards. Whereas like Odegaard's more like he's not quite he's not quite as out there, but he's still. In, if you look at even in that first goal uh, on against Southampton, there was a lo- lo- lovely touch and and forward pass from him, that, and that stuff, those sort of five ten progressive five ten yard progressive passes are really important in football. Um, I, I always call him like he, he's like the drummer of the team where he like sets the rhythm, sets the tempo and often you don't really understand exactly what he's doing until he's removed out of the side and then you see because that's why I think our, our upturn in form in January last season was so good. Yes, obviously down to the form of Emile Smith-Rowe but also the difference that Martin Odegaard made in terms of setting a tempo that Arsenal really lacked I think since since a player like Santa Grisola or, or, or somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. One one thing I'll say, I, I want I want him to do a bit more is I, I do want him to. I I do feel like sometimes if he scores, it's like he, he doesn't he don't he don't shoot again. You know what I mean? Because he scored, like because I, I want him to be like that selfish player. Because I actually think he could score a lot of goals because he's technically such a such a good player. And that, that could that could come along with with being young and and assimilating into a squad, being kind of one of the last people in. I mean, I guess you know some people naturally would just take over and and start bullying the pitch and saying, you know, while I'm hot, I'm going to keep, you know, in basketball, you make three threes in a row, you're just going to keep throwing them up until you miss. Yeah. Um, you know, in football, it's more of a kind of a more of a team sport. So I I I would think that that's still to come. Because yeah. I agree with you, Ryan, but I, I think that's still he's going to have that in his in his locker. Yeah. People and, forget too. People forget too, Mike, as well, is that Martin Odegaard is a year older than Emil Smith Rowe. We talk about him as if he's yeah. this sort of seasoned pro that we expect massive output from, but he's he he's in the same age bracket as Saka Smith Rowe. Yeah, it's just the yeah. Freddie Adu thing, where where you know he's twenty three, but he seems like he's been playing for ninety one straight years. So. But uh, so Odegaard, uh, I mean, some games have gone by where you're like, where is Odegaard? Has he touched the ball? Is he on the pitch? Yesterday, all you could see was him bossing it. 
Um, Owen, you want to talk about Tommy? Yeah, it's funny because I see – I forget that fucking idiot's name that was on Sky Sports saying that he's not even a right-backer, whoever he was. Um, <laughs> Mike Hernandez. Um, who the fuck's that? Okay. Um, but, uh, no. You guys got foul mouths today. Man, I'm Irish. I get away fuck with you, it. Mike. It's uh, Yeah, fuck you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, Tommy Asher, I think, is somebody who came in completely under the radar. Nobody really knew what to expect from him. There was, as I said, those quotes from that idiot in Sky Sports saying that um, he, uh, I'm sorry, I know he's one of your mates, is he? Is he one of your mates? Is Kave one of your Cave, that's Ooh. his. You're mates. You're fucking friends with all those guys. Mine? Um, yeah, you. Oh, no, I thought you were asking Ryan. No, no, Cave is. Uh, I, I don't know he's him. A, yeah, he's a. No, he's a twat. A ball bag, we would say over here. Um, anyway, yeah. He's the uh, Arlo White of Sky Sports, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Ryan, I, I invited you tonight thinking that these guys could control themselves. I'm, I'm Dude, I already told you my situation. It is gone, though. <laughs> yeah. I think we should dip into that after I answer this. But what a okay. look, very well-rounded player, but exceeded my expectations massively. And there's this conversation that I'm sure we're going to get onto in a little bit about captaincy. And if you're talking about a player that leads by example, plays 7 out of 10 every week, consistent down to a tee, I think that Tommy Asu has to be in that conversation as well because I think if you're looking for a consistent performer, he's not picking up any player of the months or anything like that. Or, um, but he's uh, he's just steady Eddie at the minute. I'm liking everything I'm seeing from him. I mean, how do you do you remember how excruciating last season was with regards to four different people that could be playing in that right back role? I mean, whether it was Bellerin or Cedric or Mainsley or Chambers, literally, I mean... Maybe that's the thing too, Mike. And there was no consistency. And and that I never even mentioned there was that, like, we talk about, you know, the resilience of Granit Xhaka being available and playing everything. When was the last time anybody deputized for Tommy Asu in the right-back role? I know we don't have European football, but we're seeing other players fatigue around the side at certain parts of the season, whereas he seems to be... Some guys are just built differently. I mean, and and you know, and and some people adjust to the Premier League differently than others. Um, He's also only twenty three as well. That helps. I, I, it's all that bologna that he ate while he was in Italy. If you would have told me on transfer deadline day that a six foot something Japanese guy was going to be our right back and likely our best player that we club that, never... that almost no one pays attention to, and and we've never heard of, I would have been like, "You're absolutely crazy." But he has been. Absolutely rock solid. For me, I my man of the match in the game was Ramsdale, and not just because he kept us in the in the in the match. It's what he does off the ball. And I've been saying it for years. And it's the first player since I can remember, probably Patrick Vieira, who actually screams at his teammates that you know that will actually give them uh well, maybe Jan's Lehman, you know, he, he but Koscielny didn't do it. Almunia didn't do it. Chesney didn't do it, right? We've had a, a string of keepers who didn't do it. And so uh, Leno didn't do it. So it's just like, for me, it's what he does off the ball. It's the positioning. It's getting people back. Now, granted, you know, with Gabrielle and White playing so well in front of him, he's not facing as nearly as many shots as Leno did last season. But it's the stuff he does off the ball. And there's, there's just like that that first save he made where it went down to his lower right, the shot came out of nowhere. He was quick to react. 
I think that beats seven out of 10 keepers because they just see it late and they're standing. It's one of those where they're falling back being like, shit, he was down there with moments like to spare. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would take him for sure. Yeah, that didn't work. I was literally just going to ask about that because I was going to say to Ryan, like that Andy's talking about the stuff that Ramsdale does off the ball. See that shit sliding on the knees and fucking. But you, did you see the video that went viral like that. with that, the Leicester fans when they were like yeah. giving it to him and then he actually cheered? It's just like, yeah. like, but that matters, know, gonna, doesn't it? Does, does does not matter that sort of oh, character. It totally does. Stuff. Like you know, we're gonna have another one of them on in a minute. But like, my dad hates Arsenal. He's diehard West Ham, and like he texted me, he sent me that video and said, "I love that he gets involved with your team, right? Because that's what you want in a keeper. You want someone back there." And he just seems like he's living he like he won the lottery, right? How Again, hard not- would that be for any player? Like, 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 I mean, we've heard of the players that that you know that grew up Arsenal fans that love Arsenal fans. I don't even know that Ramsdale Ramsdale's not a gooner, is he? No, but it's a little he's just, easier to get away with it when you're a keeper, Mike. Because I your actually, attention I actually isn't a hundred percent on the match. That's true. I watched, like, I like when, when Giroud with, was uh, doing the scorpion kick dance after he scored, you know. Yeah, I mean you can get criticism if you're too Whacked out like that, so I guess you're right about that being for a goalkeeper. But but this just shows his mentality. I I watched him on um uh it's like a golf channel thing that I that I would watch with tubes from Soccer AM. I'm not sure if you remember him, but uh, Ramsdale was on with him, and they were talking about the interaction with the away fans when he turns around, for example, with with Leicester, and and he was saying the reason he does it is because he thinks that if he is fucking around with them and, and bantering with them that then he thinks, well, Jesus, I can't be making some stupid mistake now or they're going to absolutely ravage me um, for those mistakes. And I think that's, that, yeah, that's like, that's an unbelievable mindset to have. I think to be putting not only the pressure of yourself for playing for Arsenal, but adding additional pressure to yourself well, and by I, design. Almost. I, think it, I think it also helps that he's English and he's in the England setup because Regardless of, you know, unless you're Spurs, if Ramsdale goes away and has a good match, there's a good group of people who are still applauding and cheer him on, right? Pickford, for as much as, you know, aside from Liverpool, like I still watch him and he makes Didn't a great save. And you're a little bit prouder because he's your national keeper, right? Didn't so you go on I Owen's think- second favorite podcast uh, to, to Joe Rogan, the, uh, the, the Ben Foster podcast, uh, directly <laughs> after the game against Watford? He did go yeah. on. He was, he's been on there a couple times, uh, Ramsdale. But I just think that, that that plays into the mind of the away fans is who are sitting so close to him is when you do have a keeper that's in the national setup, there's a different relationship than had it been, you know, Mendy or someone that, that's not English. I think there is a little bit different of a relationship. My God, we have not even gotten to Obama Yang yet. But but so, so I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to skip this. I wanted to talk about Partey and Zaka. Um but that knowing how Andy feels about Granite Jaka, I think uh, you know to talk tactically about how much he sucked on Saturday, despite our good win, uh, I think would probably lead us down a, a, the wrong path. So, uh, so before we talk about Aubameyang, we have one player who has been a huge part of our team, who's getting himself back to fitness. Now we started the same eleven two games in a row. There was five days in between matches. Now we have three. Assuming ESR is healthy enough to start. On on Wednesday, uh, I did a poll online. Who who gets replaced by him, uh, or do you not start him? Do you bring him off off the bench? So before I put the poll results up, 
Owen, who do you, who do you basically make way for him at least for the beginning of the game? Let's say he's able to play seventy minutes uh, from the eleven that we started. Who do you pull out? It's, it's a super it's a super difficult one because I'm a firm believer in in merit and and uh, you know the the players getting to retain their positions after good performances and 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 who do you strip out of the starting eleven after that? Because you'd have to say that. Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, Odegaard, and Alexander Lacazette all had brilliant games, and you know every single one of them would have the right to feel hard done by, um, to be missing out on, on on such a big game like West Ham. So, for me, look, this is something that that I've seen multiple people doing. Of oh, what system can we do to squeeze all these players in? And it's like, let look, let's just stop competition's good competition pressure breeds diamonds and and the fact that they'll all be going out onto the pitch everyone that i've just mentioned there knowing that a player like Emil smith rowe is biting at their heels to get into their positions it's only going to raise performance levels so for me i will be keeping it the same um to start and then we, we can assess the situation after the, the start of the second half and and see if anybody's legs are tiring or anybody's underperforming or or whatever but for me don't fix something that's not broke. Yeah, I, I, and I could probably actually share that because I mean, what better guy to bring off the bench if 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 things are getting a little slow than Emil Smith Rowe? Ryan, would you would you slot him right back in? And if so, who would you rotate out? Yeah, I to- completely agree with every word that Owen said. I, I don't see how how we can. I don't see why we have to get you know players back. We have to get them back in. It's like no, if you if you come out. Then and the the team do well. Then you stay. Go to the back of the line. Look at not like the back of the line, but it's like <laughs> look at if you look at all the like for example, look at like Hotter at, at Liverpool. Like they don't they're not just bringing. All right, then Firmino might be injured, but they don't just bring him in. It's like Shalaba at Chelsea, the the centre back. He's gone in. He's done a really good job, so he's in. It's like that. That's just how it works at Man City. Sometimes Laporte. Who I think is still one of the best centre backs in the league. He's sometimes out there. He's if he's if he's not in. I know we're not on that level yet, but I don't think I, I, I love. I really love Emmy. I really love him, but I don't think he's on that level where where it's. I don't think he's got that reputation where it's like he's straight back in now. And I don't think any of our attackers have that actually. Um, so I, like I think. It hasn't Arteta kind of proven with the attackers? Like, if you play well, you're staying. Like, Lacazette, for a long run, didn't play, came on as a sub, performed well. Now he's pretty much a stalemate, right? And so I think he's good at easing him back in. But heading into the Christmas period, Mike, I wouldn't rush anyone back. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. The poll that we ran was uh, was mostly Xhaka or Partey, which, which I guess <laughs> – would uh, it says a lot about their play? Also, you know, we've seen Odegaard kind of slot next to one of one or the other of them, uh, which would allow you to bring ESR in at the ten rather than in the left wing. But um, but there were a significant number of comments that did mention, you know, don't bring him back at all. Bring him on for thirty minutes. Use him back in. You have to think as well. It's healthy for a middle Smith row as well because we have seen these players thrust into the limelight too quick, throwing massive contracts and 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 too much emphasis put on them as individuals too early and and what this does is it lets Emil smith Rowe know that that it isn't just a straight walk back into the side for you you know so not only is it good for the players who have earned the right to keep their spots it's also healthy i think for 
the ego of the Middlesmith Road to know that it isn't just a, a walk, a, a, a straight walk back in, and everything coming out of the club would suggest that he'll have no problem dealing with the choice like that. If we if we're gonna get back to if we want to get to the level, yeah, the, where where we want to be, there's gonna be loads of these in, in the future. You'd hope where you think that okay, someone's gonna have to miss out. It's a bit like KT. Uh, you know, he he missed out for a bit, rightly so, in my opinion, because Tavares was playing well. Tavares, uh, KT came back in, did well, and, and now he starts, and he'll carry on starting. Like that's for me, that's just how football works. Like, oh, these are these are good problems to have. I just like stirring shit up where I can, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've, someone's got to be out for someone to come yeah, in. But... There will be people who probably you know will be like, how oh, we can't leave Emmy out. But... <laughs> Like, if we want to get, if we're getting to where we want to get, those those are going to be decisions that happen quite often. I think. Exactly. Uh, now, speaking of bringing somebody in without bringing somebody out, um, we're going to bring in a friend of mine who is uh, is making his debut. In fact, he's breaking his duck on the podcast. Welcome to the Gooners podcast, West Ham fan Kevin McIntosh. Good to see you again, buddy. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. How nice to meet you all virtually. You look. You look very. Uh, you've met one. You've met one of us. Uh, well, two of us. You yeah. look very relaxed for someone yeah, who's. You look very relaxed for someone who's cut open their body this evening. How's your finger uh, holding up? Oh, my finger's fine actually. Uh, it's a standard piece of behaviour here, where you get a bread knife out and cut something badly. We have uh, a bad history on this podcast of people way, cutting their fingers open. Didn't that happen to you, Andy? One time you cut your finger open. Somebody else cut their finger open. Oh well. No. All right. There must okay. be on your other podcast. Must be on my what, severed finger amputation in you. Yeah. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, life. All right, let, let me give you a, a proper introduction. Um, our sons used to play football together. His son is Ian, not not like spelled like O Ian, like 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 uh, like like our Ian. Uh, it's a hell of a number nine, by the way. But he's an expat who, unlike Andy, decided to keep his accent. Uh, he's a former cricketer, former guy with hair. Uh, former a lot of things, but he's West Ham through and through, and we've had a lot of banter over the years. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've talked when our sons were playing together, West Ham finishing 13th, 12th, 10th. I mean, there was a lot of self-deprecating talk in those years. Not that Arsenal was pulling up trees or anything like that during those years, but it's a whole different dynamic right now, man. I mean, you're not dealing with Jack Wilshire and Sebastian Halle and all that anymore. You got you got a, quite a team going on right now. So how? But I do want to talk about Aubameyang, and I wanted to include you in that. But Ooh. you look pretty relaxed right now. Is that kind of a a sign of your overall feeling about West Ham these days? No, I don't think as a West Ham supporter. And let's just take into account: I've been a West Ham supporter since 1966. I don't think you could ever take anything for granted. Um. Two years ago, we were facing relegation. Moyes came for a second time, and I didn't like it. Um, but by the time we'd finished with that relegation, sorry, yes, another relegation year, we actually looked like we had a playing style. We then start the next year, which is, what, the 2021 season, and we continued the same playing style. And we ended up uh, in the Europa League spots. So the whole thing, in a way, is a bit of a shock. I'm wondering whether 
the bubble's going to burst. Um, and we start looking at games against sides like you lot, where I wonder whether we might actually win them rather than getting our asses kicked. And uh, so, I mean, it's uncharted territory then, as far as recently is concerned, where you, sh I mean, because you should be feeling, I think, fairly confident given what we've done when we've played against organized, well-drilled teams. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, I, I know you have a little bit of, you know, I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to count my chickens. You have, uh, I guess maybe it's uh, called uh, PTSD from previous years. But, I mean, what would you say at this point is your feeling going into this game? Do you think we have a, a you know, do you think that you guys are the favorite? I think we should win. Uh, we've beaten in the last month Chelsea, Liverpool. We've won the games away that we should have done. I'm not quite sure. And we lost to Manchester City but away. But I feel as though had we been more adventurous, we'd have got something out of that game. But with David Moyes, that's what you get. Mm -hmm. Um See, see that, see that confidence, Kevin. You're talking about there. Is that coming from the confidence that you have in David Moyes and West Ham at the minute, or is it looking at Arsenal and thinking that they're maybe an easy hit? I think that if we play the way we can, we can do well. I'm not sure that we have the hugest squad, um, and when you go into games like the Arsenal game, which historically we have not done well in, you look at your big players to go and win the games. Um, I also wonder what, what state you guys are in, because you've just had a decent win against Southampton, but Colorado. we're playing Southampton on um, Boxing Day, <laughs> and I'm looking at our side to lob balls into the box because they're shit at defending corners. So can we share each other's team's weaknesses and just hope that no one from from like like our squad hears you uh, or or no no one from our squad your squad hears me and vice versa? I mean, because we've we've just spent the the whole pod talking about how where Arsenal sucks and what we're going to try to do against West Ham. Um, do you have the players to uh, to be able to block us from just playing it out of the bat, coming around the side and doing that whole circle thing? Because because if not, you know, I mean, you've, you've got midfielders that are uh, probably a little bit better than ours at this point. Not if we've got Arthur Basawaki playing at left back. <laughs> but probably a better question to ask, Kev, is where, 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 where did you find joy against? <laughs> where did you? No, look, look. What did Michael, you? You're using a fucking rock band microphone on a podcast. Come on, Jesus Christ. Stretch the budget, buddy. Um, yeah. Anyway, Kevin, where did you show Google Back to the intelligent conversation. Uh, where did you find joy against the likes of Liverpool, against you know the likes of these top, top echelon sides in the Premier League that you otherwise normally wouldn't have got joy out of? What, what, what has changed? And massive ability at the top end. If you go and look back at both of those games, we endured half a ton of pressure from both sides and managed to manufacture decent opportunities at the other end because we broke at pace. Um, God only knows what we'll do against you lot. 
it's literally everything that we're bad at user <laughs> yeah i mean i, I mean it, it, i i i think it should be an open game i mean i, I don't think see I, I don't think that the fear is there for west ham right now and because i don't think the fear is there with just about anybody i mean southampton played us a little bit scared but yeah we've beaten we liverpool and chelsea we shouldn't really be scared of anybody but no. at the same time i don't feel like we took the the game against Burnley by the scruff of the neck. Um, and, uh, but that's a different game. So isn't, isn't that always kind of the, the, the story of the, of the underdog though? Like you, 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 you get up for the big games. I mean, we've had this issue over the last couple of games, a uh, couple of seasons as well, until we completely stopped winning against any good teams. Uh, but I mean, we beat City, we beat Liverpool, and we beat Chelsea basically back to back to back at the beginning of 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 uh, Arteta's career, and then we're losing points to teams like Burnley, like Wolves, like you know, just dropping points after points after points. So you know, it it, it is kind of weird to see you know a, a performance against Burnley like you did when you had the Liverpool game and the Chelsea game and the Spurs game, which was a very tidy one nil that we were all at together, uh, go the opposite direction. So uh, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm surprised to hear you're a little bit not more, more not confident about, about Wednesday than, uh, than you are, but it, it's going to be a good matchup one way or the other. I don't think that um, as West Ham fan for as long as I've been, you can ever go, yeah, we're going to go and win this game. I think there are games that you would expect to win. Uh, but I still wouldn't go into the Arsenal game thinking we're going to take you apart. However, if we get, if Moyes gets the structure right and he does what he did against Burnley in the second half, where uh, we kind of go from a, a back four that pushes up the Suchek and um, Rice sitting, you then go and shove Rice up to the number 10 position. Then you have a whole different game. I think what what it, what um, Moyes does with the midfield and the creative and the creative midfielders and that doesn't currently include Rice may well yeah. change the game. But Moyes has to be comfortable with the way that the game gets played. Well, there's a there's a guy also that uh, that we have been consistently putting off talking about it. Now, Ryan, I'm going to come to you about this because we talked about ESR coming back in the lineup and who does he displace. Last I heard, Obama Yang was, you know, I, I heard mixed mixed comments. I heard one that said his his disciplinary actions began on Saturday, which implied that they're not over. And I've heard comments that said that he'll be back in contention to play on Wednesday. So, what's your view on? I mean, uh, there's been there's been criticism on Arteta and and Kevin. I'm going to want to have your point of view from the outside on this as well, but. Um, Dealt with a family issue in Spain. Didn't get back in time. Issues with uh, with COVID testing. Suspended from practice on Friday. Out of the eleven on Saturday. Um, is the captaincy in danger? Is Alba has he been wronged here, or is this just another an example of transgressions? And where do you fall on this? Uh, well, definitely not. Uh, definitely against anyone criticizing the manager. On, on this one personally I, I think this is definite in my opinion anyway this is certainly not the first time this has happened this doesn't just happen once and you know it's like okay 
we've gone public with it, whatever, and, and it looks bad. This is this would have been a running thing that's happened on more than one occasion. I reckon he's been spoken to about it. You remember he he didn't play in the Spurs game earlier on because of it. So if that happens, in my, if if, it's, if that's me and that happens to you, I'm making sure that's never something like that's never ever happening again. You know, I'm the captain of the football club. I've missed the game against the, our local rivals. I've accepted, from from what I understand, he did. He accepted responsibility that he did. So to do something like that again for me is just there's no, in terms of in terms of him being me trusting him in it for that stuff that it's gone completely uh, I, don't, I just don't i just don't think that's how a, a, a captain acts um i don't think arteta had much choice really what, what what's he meant if he says if he says it's not he's not in the squad for tactical reasons like Unai did over Ozil, you just you get hot. The fans will be turning around going, "Well, that's a load of rubbish." So it's like Obamia. Even if you don't think he should be in the starting eleven, everyone thinks he should be in the squad. And then I've got the other the other side, where it's like you can't change culture. Everyone wants us to change and become uh, go back to the old ways and be a big. You can't change that culture of a football club by just letting things like this slide. And it's just really unfortunate that. Aubameyang doesn't see it like that, um, and for me, he, he let Arteta down. No, there's no way, no, no, no yeah. debate for me about it. That that's on, it's on Aubameyang. Arteta, I think, handled it quite well because, you know, to have to deal with your captain doing this twice in the space of six months or whatever um, is really hard. People might argue he, he could have taken it. He should have taken it away from him. I think we had this discussion, and I said I think it's really difficult to just take the captaincy away from someone when someone's at the club. That was well, my next question to you: Is once again, Ryan, here we are. Do, you know, is there a? I, I, I'll be honest with you, Mike. I just don't know. I don't know the answer. There's not a. Last year, I think when KT when Tierney was flying, I probably would have gone. You know, take it off Aubameyang of and give it to to Tierney. But now with KT, it's like. He's with the injuries and also with Tavares emerging, I, I don't actually know the answer. I'm 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 open to to hearing other people's opinions on who should it should be, but it shouldn't be Aubameyang, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, and and um, you know the it, if you haven't read the Athletic article today, it provides some background behind kind of the timing and the reasoning and 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 gives a pretty balanced view of of. You know what Obama may Obama Obama Yang might have been thinking, um, and why he may think that he's wronged versus what the club said. Uh, it's a little more nuanced than a lot of people seem to think it was. Uh, originally, I was under the impression he just didn't show up for practice on Friday and then went and got a tattoo. Uh, apparently, it's a very much more nuanced thing about visiting his mother in Spain and not getting back and COVID testing and and he was back in time for practice, but they wouldn't let him do it because he hadn't had a COVID test. So on and so forth. But I mean, wait, are you saying, Mike, that Twitter and Arsenal fans overreacted about a situation they knew nothing about and built no, a no, narrative around that? I'm not saying they didn't know oh, they overreacted. I'm saying like the information was more nuanced. <laughs> but, 
but regardless of the regardless of the information look as as ryan stated this isn't the first time you know and and even though the circumstances obviously at the time you know when i think it was his mother wasn't well and then he had malaria and then he was late to the north regardless of the circumstances arsenal have been more than flexible with pierre mccabamiang you know they didn't have to let pierre mccabamiang go anywhere contractually he should have had been a trainer, but they obviously gave him that bit of breathing space to go and do whatever he was wanting to do under certain conditions, and he took liberties with those conditions. And regardless, yeah, of, come back Wednesday night, came back. Regard, Tuesday, yeah, regardless morning, of had everything in motion. Look, and it isn't like you know, like if his if his flight was delayed or whatever. I'm pretty sure Mikel Arteta isn't hanging Pierre Pierre Mkhitaryan out to dry for something that wasn't within his control. You know, like if his flight was delayed, that's fine. I'm sure they would have grasped it. Yeah. There's obviously been something done. A lax, you know, him being laxadaisy with the rules. And the truth is, is that as Ryan said, we're trying to change a culture, a soft culture that had been at Arsenal. And this isn't somebody who doesn't come with a history of this. You know. Borussia Dortmund and their fan base were relatively happy to see Aubameyang move on when he came to us. And now, granted, I think he's been a fabulous player for us, but there's only so much piss-taking you can do with the rules. You're supposed to be setting an example to other young players. We're a youthful squad, and for them to be looking up to him, seeing him doing stuff like that, is shocking. And I think he does completely undermined and betrayed the trust of Mikel Arteta. For all the flaws that I think Arteta has, He's acted perfectly in this. And for me, he should never put the captain's armband again because what he's done, although it wasn't just as public, it's just as disrespectful as what Granit Xhaka did at Crystal Palace. Well, it's an interesting take. And I and I and I like before I before I go to you, Andy, the I like getting the opinion on this handling of the situation, especially from those who tend to be a little bit more critical of Mikel Arteta and and his historical man management and, and decisions than than I am. Listen to the Highbury squad before this, and and you know, Kev tends to be quite pro Arteta. Uh, Sophie's obviously been much more critical of Arteta, but I think they both align perfectly in the sense. Although Sophie's often been anti Obama Yang because she she doesn't you know she 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 has no time as most people don't for uh, you know for players who are just pissing off and making their own rules. But uh, but I think it's important when. You know, when you have someone who generally tends to take the piss out of Arteta every ch- every chance that they get, which is not you, Owen, but the more you are like that and you still think that this was handled the right way by him, um, I think that says a lot. Um, you know, I, I do you take the captain's armband away from Andy or do you have a completely different viewpoint on this situation altogether because you hate no, how people I, always get up in arms about shit like no, that? No, I can't uh, disagree with anything that Ryan or Owen said or you for that matter. Uh, except for the fact that I would allow him to keep the armband because the armband for me has been cursed since we, as I said before, since Patrick Vieira. Okay. Gala sat down in the middle of a match and just basically threw his toys on the, out of the pram. Then <clears throat> Jaka rightly or wrongly told our fans where to go and a small percentage shouldn't have done it. So for me, and then Obama Yang is played as a joke. Um, just this weekend we saw, uh, a player on the pitch who hasn't extended a contract with Arsenal, and it's very likely he won't get a contract being given the armband. Um, so I will say let's keep the armband on Aubameyang as he digs himself the hole because it is a cursed armband, and we just leave it there for now, and we kind of see what plays out. We have a lot of young players. Personally, for me, if we were going to take it off him, it would go to KT or 
Um, I'd give it to Ramsdale just because he's a voice of the team, right? When you're on the pitch, but um, he takes <coughs> he's taken advantage of the scenario that he's in. And as a as an employee who is paid three hundred thousand pounds a week, you know there's no confusion when and where you need to be for your COVID test. I got family flying over from England in like a week, and they are all fucking experts as where you're going for the test, who's giving you the test, when you need the test, how you get on your flight. He has all that people that do that for him. He's a cunt. <laughs> okay. So, no, I mean, you know, the, the, um, uh, he is, I'm sorry, but like, you don't act that way as a professional footballer. I mean, and it's not just like, it's not just, I mean, okay, let's like getting a little like bigger minded here, but it's not just like the world we're living in with COVID now. I mean, I don't care to know your political, if you're vaccinated, you guys personally, but like, there are a lot of people, younger people who look at what Aubameyang's doing and breaking these rules and thinking, well, if a guy like that can do it, then I can do it. And it's like, well, no, that's not how the world lives right now and works. Like there are protocols set in place. Well, right? We've worked and so, so hard to get that attitude <laughs> out of our club. And, and then here right. it and is then he coming just, back again. Yeah. Now, like, like Owen said, if it's a, if it's a missed flight or if it's a delayed flight or something where it's out of his control, then we never hear about this. But this is the second time now you have been stripped of a match. The first one being a North London derby. This one, not so much. He's not going to play against West Ham, which is going to be. I, I don't know that. No, he won't because just the news story that we're seeing. So for me, he's he is. He's a twat and he needs to leave. Fuck well, off. He's been, he's been Sorry, in, Ryan. A, in a pattern where <laughs> it's been in a pattern where where basically at, at, after three years he's been so prolific with his goal scoring that he tends to say okay well now I'm I, I'd like special privileges I you know I'm gonna act like Johnny big balls around here I'm you know I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape that that happened when he was 26. It happened when well, he was 29. Sorry, Mike, sorry to interrupt. I was it just say. so happens now to be happening during a time period where his play is crap too. And right. he's got I, obligations. If he was banging in a goal every match, if he had 16 goals on the season, if he was Salah type of level, I would be like, who gives a fuck what he's doing? Let him do whatever he's doing, right? Oh, and, and that's, that's a, not the case. That's an interesting thing because I actually disagree with that. And uh, be, you know, if you're trying to set an example, then set an example. But 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 like but you you're you're. My point was he's so good you can't keep him out of the. Um... <laughs> Double Gunner says Andy Arsenal fans overreacted. Andy minutes later he's like, <laughs> well yeah because they're oh listen Dublin they're overreacting about a story they know nothing about. I know Aubameyang's a cunt based off of specific facts that we've seen in most recent years. I want to have a fucking statue at this club. Fuck off. You just got paid a shit ton of money. That's why you're saying it. <laughs> Kevin, you've got to ask. If he was... What's, what, what annoys me a bit about this is if he was at Man City... I don't think he'd do that. Yeah. So in a way, he's treating us, the fans with some disrespect because if he was at what or Real Madrid or something. If I don't think he does does this stuff. So in a way, it's kind of like I'm, I'm doing it because I feel like I can do it, even though the fact that you said earlier, well, you know, I, I need allowances made for it. 
mate, the allowance that's been made is that you're you're getting paid three hundred thousand pounds a week. That, right. That's your that's what that's your reward. Not to yeah. not to sort of get away with doing other little things like for me that that's a that's a real no like that. Yeah, non-negotiables include team rules. Negotiables, by their very definition, include salaries. You negotiate a salary. He got himself a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar sorry not salary wage packet. And uh, and 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 that's the that's Not the negotiable part. Pines, based on it. Yeah, what I say, dollars. Stupid money. <laughs> that's why I said dollars, Andy, because I'm Jewish. <laughs> right, so Kevin, oh, here outsider, he is mentioning he's Jewish again. The outsider view. Um, West Ham, no stranger to uh, to player power struggles. Dimitri Payet <laughs> is one that I can think of. I'm sure you can talk about others, but. Um, What's your view on what we're dealing with with our, uh, you know, with the guy who scored probably two thirds of our goals over the last three seasons, but is on a on a very very cold spell right now, missing practices and getting discipline? What would you do? So one of the things that uh, I understand about the way that West Ham progressed this year is there's been this team togetherness. Uh, it's been. We all do this together. We will move forward together. We win together. We lose together. The second you have somebody who decides they're going to go and change the rules and do something completely different is divisive. There's, there's, there's stuff like wage structures um, and you have players who are getting paid 350,000 whatevers versus 70,000 whatevers. Um, but eventually you will muck in. The second you allow one person to change the rules, dictate how the club views you as one person, is just completely divisive. Fuck off. Go away. Dimitri Payet. Fuck off. Go away. Uh, Marco Arnautovic. Fuck off. Go away. Oh, we can, we can all agree on that. So, why should you have... You get paid to play a game. You get paid a lot to play a game. For fuck's sake, behave properly, turn up, train support your teammates, go and play for the club, and more importantly, the supporters. Because eventually the club is nowhere, it's, it, it, the club is nothing without the supporters. And we've just discovered that by playing uh, games um, during COVID, where we've had empty stadiums, and it's shit. Yeah, you, had, you had some whacked out results and, and unenjoyable football. Well, and I... I we add Andy Carroll to that as well. I mean, like, let's yeah. just keep. I, I just but want to keep talking about West Ham. Cunts. But you're talking about uh, what I, what I don't understand, right? Is you're, you're talking about a contracted employee, right? Yes. At, at what point does Arsenal turn around and, and this disregard the captain's armband because that's just a different conversation? But at what point can a club turn around and say the fuckery is stopped? You're no longer an employee here because you're breaking yeah. your contract. But, and, and Mike, I know, I know you're shaking your head, but you're a contracted employee, and you know, yeah, if me or you did that, that's what would happen. Yeah, so, yeah. But Andy, this yeah, but we're we're at will employees. They're not at will employees. Well, not necessarily. You don't know the contract, right? <laughs> oh, I sign off on all of them. Uh, and there's a bigger game as well, which is that the side goes tits up, and it's always the manager that gets sacked. Yet. Mm -hmm. When you look at the whole thing, the players decide they're not going to be, they're not going to um, support their contracts. And because they don't like the way that the manager is doing things, 
they'll go, well, fuck off, I just won't bother. But at the end of it, who actually suffers? It's the support. Yeah. The, payer, the, the people paying the salaries. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because well, it's always... We don't do it. It's always been said when you have when you have a bad culture at your team, it's easier to, to to sack the coach than than sack eighteen players. Arsenal are in the process of trying to prove that wrong. We we've we've sacked this you know in one form or another about nine players in the last eighteen to twenty four months uh, while keeping the same manager and keeping with that same that same process and that same. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out because. You know, we could keep chopping and changing with managers and bring in 10 hog and bring in 11 hog and 15 hog or however many hogs you want to bring in. Um, and if the, you know, if the same players are doing the same crap and same and, and you know, and undermining the team, it's going to be the same outcome. So, I, you know, it, it will be interesting if you can show that over two, two and a half years, you can't. I, I've used that joke and gotten so many people annoyed I'm, at yeah. me. I love that Ryan is I, dying. I, yeah, that's a, I'm 100 percent stable on that joke. Because Ryan is laughing, Mike is like, "Yes, I'm the comedian." I thought it's it's like, it's like if you if you went to do five comedy shows and the first four people threw food and lettuce and beets and tomatoes at you, and then the fifth one they're all Finally. rolling on the ground. Yes, that's why. Because this has been the perennial West Ham problem. Um, you have a fan base, uh, you have um, a squad, and you find a manager who you think might actually do some useful things. But given the that you're getting paid, what, 180,000 quid a year for the broadcast things, it means that you can't get rele- you can't afford to get relegated. So the natural, th- the, the natural thing to do is if you're shit, you ditch the manager and get another bloke in. But if you take a more strategic approach and you can actually survive, um, you might actually build something. And heaven forbid, uh, and I'm seriously, I was seriously anti-Moyes, we might suddenly be getting somewhere. So the question I suppose I'm asking you lot is how long do you put up with a manager uh, before you ditch him? I'll go here first quick because I don't like Arteta as Let, a manager. Let's, let's, let's do this, then predictions, and then we'll, then we'll okay. come up. Um, I don't like Arteta as a manager, but I do see the board have obviously backed him heavily with investment, and so I think he's the next manager for two to three years. Uh, Kevin, I, I don't know if Mike shared with you, but I'm – Raised by a hammer, brother-in-law, best friend. They're all diehard season ticket holders. And they were all in the same boat you are. They hated Moyes, and now they all love him. So I'm hoping that changes with me, right, where Arteta molds. I think this summer, or excuse me, this winter will be important. I do think we'll probably dip into the the, the transfer window for a striker, and I think that's going to speak volumes for – I think that, like as Ryan said earlier, that's probably the one position on the pitch that Arteta has not addressed himself. I will say that from I, I want to give Arteta more time to get rid of some of this dead weight. We know Lacazette's going to be gone. Well, Belmiang's likely going to be gone. Maybe two or three other players with Bellerin, Torreya, Guendouzi, get them all off the wage bill. I do think he's going to bring in more players. We're starting to see his team. And we're not playing bad football. There's been some bumps in the road, but ultimately, like, it's not awful, right? So, I say we give him more time. I don't want to keep circulating managers who want to bring in their own players. I think we need to give him the opportunity 
And um, my prediction for the weekend, and I'm going to say this, Kevin, with no disrespect to you, but West Ham are a one-trick pony, so we get Antonio out of the match. We're pretty much going to win 2-1, but we won't do that because we're shit, so we're going to lose 3-1. <laughs> that was the most – it's almost as though you're, like, on something. Um, <laughs> I think that's about like that. as coherent as my dog going for a tittle in the first thing in the morning. Well, <laughs> exactly, and, and and that's what you get from the Gooners podcast. So, all right, so, Ryan um, – your, your, your thoughts on, on kind of the, the manager versus firing everyone in the club or sacking everyone in the club uh, in order to create a new culture, and then your prediction for Wednesday. Okay, so in, in the same style as Andy, I'd say I really, really like Arteta as a man. I like him less as a manager, but I like him enough to see it out to the end of the season. I think at the end of the season... That, that's when I look again, like assess again. Um, I definitely, I, I, as I said earlier, like I don't want it to be just that after every defeat, it feels like we talk about the manager. For me, I, I said um, after those horrible first three games, he has until November. Uh, and I think when we got to November, we were fifth. And so therefore, if he got in the, us into that position, give, I'd want him to see it out to the end of the season. And that's still where I am. Uh, in terms of, the, I feel like we are going to pick up four points in the next two games against West Ham or Leeds. So I think we're either going to beat West Ham and then draw with Leeds or we're going to draw with West Ham and then beat Leeds. So I think four points from the next two. And as long as we then go on to beat Norwich and Wolves as, in, as the Christmas fixtures, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd almost have to be in fourth if we end up with that kind of result. Ten out of the next 12 again. Exactly, exactly. Prediction for Wednesday. <laughs> Having just said that you, that you either think we're going to draw or win, now we need a prediction. We need a prediction. Right. A score. I, think we're beat West, I think we're going to beat West Ham and draw to Leeds on the week. I think that will be a tough game. I think we'll beat West Ham 2-1. Okay, we need all the scores and the minutes that they're going to score and, and the type of goal that they're going to score. Um we don't have to worry about Rabona's because Payet and Lamella are not playing in that game. So, um, no. All right. So you, so you, you're, you're picking a victory. Andy picked everything. Uh, Owen, what are you going with? And and you're you're. I mean, as we know, someone who who doesn't tend to think Arteta belongs in the job that he's in. What are your thoughts with regards to changing coaches versus changing culture? No, well, something I always think I've done is even though I've been quite clear of my opinions of him as a coach is to give him a fair crack at the whip. And I think that you can compartmentalize each of them first three games, you know, with the the lack of availability from some of the, the incomings that he took in and stuff like that. And I, I, after that, I said I wanted to give him until Christmas. And, and, I, and I, I'll say I said my only issue is that every big challenge that we have faced, every big test, the major ones that matter, We've failed so far, and for me, uh, although as Kev has said, historically West Ham have been further down the packing order than uh, some might see them now. They're definitely up there, and I would say, well, obviously at current, they're our main rival for that fourth spot. Um, you know, barring Manchester United's form picking up, but for me, I don't think like Andy. I think they're a much more well-rounded side than than just lumping the ball into Antonio. Well, that's what they were prior, but now with the likes of Bowen, you know, there's. A, there's a lot more sophistication to the way that they attack and a lot more ways that they can break you down than, than they could in previous years. Um, 
but in saying that, um, my head says draw, but my heart says says a win. So, but I'll I'll go with my heart, and I think that we're going to get a, th- a three two win. I think it's going to be a really high scoring game. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier that they're they're not going to fear us, and and I, I think that the days of us um hitting the back of the net and sitting back are are, are probably over uh, due to the heavy criticism that both the players and the manager have come under. So I'll go for a three two win. They will be uh, kicking us all over the pitch, though. I think we've shown that that's an effective way of of, uh, of beating Arsenal, especially when nobody calls anything from from a referee standpoint. A couple people in the chat giving their uh, their views. Chris Moss, two one to Gooners. Uh, then some uh, some transfer window ideas. Anyone else in the chat want to want to pipe in with your uh, with your predictions as well? For me, you know, again, I've gone all over the map on this Arteta thing. Um, you know, there have been a couple of situations where I've gotten very close to to thinking a change was necessary, and I always end up kind of walking myself back off that ledge because not just because of results, but because of some situational things, like the way he's handling this Aubameyang thing, the way that he's kind of the and whether this is all him or a combination of him and a do or if it's coming from above, which I highly doubt. Uh, the way that the, the, there was a thread on on yesterday morning on Twitter from a very, very pro Arteta person. I don't, I'm not even going to publicize it. You can go and find it. Put Arteta Ten Hag, because uh, he wrote about Ten Hag and how easy Ajax's entire structure is for a manager to succeed in and, and how hard it has been in the Premier League for Arteta and, and comparing the two. And, and it's just it's an interesting thread. He goes way over the line on a lot of things, I think, just looking for ways to praise Arteta. But he also makes some very good points that there are some systemic changes to the club, to the culture, to the structure, to the fitness, to the rules, to the age profile, to the contract profile. And you can't do that overnight. That's the process that I think a lot of people are talking about and and getting sick of hearing about. It's not just do we sit back after going up on a one-goal lead and, and and clearly there's no plan and his substitutions against Everton were absolutely diabolical and, and all those things. Yes, those can be true while still building something for the future. And and just like Kevin said, you know, he's come around on Moyes, who is the opposite of Arteta. He's an experienced coach that sometimes you feel might be limited as opposed to an inexperienced coach who you don't feel deserves to be in a job being as inexperienced as he is. But, you know, I'm willing to kind of see how this develops. I realize that if it doesn't develop and we eventually get nowhere, that, that we've got to uh, – we're, we're going to have missed out on changing something when we still could. But I'm all for it. So um, at this point, I'm still in on it. And, and I think the player power thing that we thought we had gotten rid of when Ozil and his crew were, were banished needs to happen uh, again here, and, and we'll be better off for it. So – um, so we're going to, we, the Royal me is going to go with uh two, two, because I cannot pick an Arsenal win. Anytime I do, we lose. Um, and so we're going to finish off the, the podcast with two things from Kevin, one, a prediction and one, a very important piece of information on something that's, that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, and, and that we wanted to make sure we talked about, uh, so Kevin, first, what do you think about the game? Are you feeling confident? Yeah, reasonably. Um, I've, we've got a brand new back four because most of them are injured. Uh, but I also think that, uh, we have a lot of firepower moving forward. Um, I've got a sneaky feeling that we have plenty of pace 
lots of creativity. Um, I think you're susceptible to being to playing on the break, to us playing on the break, uh, and I think you're going to be uncomfortable with that. I think you're going to be struggling with lots of pace. So I'm going to go three one to us. Three one. You said three one to us, meaning West Ham, right? Right. Okay. I, I didn't. I, I I didn't know if you said three one to us or three one to Arsenal because sometimes us and Arsenal sound sound the same when when. I don't need to ask, Mike. Okay, um, and uh, and and please do tell us. Uh, let let uh, I, you mentioned something to me earlier today, and you know how how much this podcast tries to look after you know talk about the community of of not just Gooners but football fans in general. Try to find the best of of how we support each other in tough times. And um, you know you have been very close to a situation with West Ham that uh, I think deserves some attention and hopefully some generosity from from anyone listening. So tell us a little bit about Isla. Is it Isla Caton? It's Isla Caton, yeah. She's seven. Uh, she's been struggling with neuroblastoma for the last, well, for her, her entire life. Poor little bugger has dealt with that day after day, week after week, month after month. And she is moving through the gears in terms of new treatments. Uh, she's having a struggle. It's not looking good. She hasn't got any hair. Um, so if you guys, anybody out there does a search on Isla, S-I-S-L-A-C-A-T-O-N, go look at that, Con, uh, contribute what you can. Um, there's a guy called Baz who does a trip around uh, the West Ham Stadium with the buckets and he collects change every week uh, and he gets chucked in there uh, and it contributes to her. So. We're looking at grassroots up to whatever you can do. So Isla Caton, poor little bugger, seven years old. Yeah, and you said that she's she's been diagnosed as being term. I mean, she's got very a very little period of time to go. Um, her bone marrow is failing, so she hasn't got much time. Um, please do, uh, yeah. It, it, I mean, if you the, the link below is is to her just giving page. Um, it's a long link, so I'm sure if you just if you look up just giving and Isla Caton, I S L A C A T O N, you can learn more about it. And um, you know, thanks Kevin for making us aware of that. It's uh, as I've talked about in the past, Gooners versus cancer. I'm hoping to grow into football versus cancer because, as we've seen with with uh, players from from Bournemouth fans and support and clubs and teams, and obviously that goes back to to situations dealt with with our you know with our own club's legends as we know a way 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 too you know too sadly uh in many cases uh, football knows no badge they don't know i'm sorry cancer knows no badge no no loyalties no no tribalism it's just something that we've got to work together to try to get rid of all together right. so so thank you kevin for uh, for sharing that with me for coming on and giving your viewpoint on uh on, on arsenal west ham it's going to be a massive Ty, uh, I'm going to be nervous as heck. Uh, we'll find out if we're doing a uh, – I think we might be doing a post game on Highbury Squad after that one. So stay tuned to the Twitter account for more announcements. Owen, Andy, Ryan, Kevin, uh, great to spend some time with you tonight. we got to get back doing this on a, on a weekly basis. This, uh, this, this last couple months has been a little too scarce. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe <laughs> if you stop traveling everywhere. Well, maybe if you uh, stop selling popsicles everywhere, we can get back and doing this again. So, I was going to uh, make your mom joke, but yeah, let's not do that. 
All right. So Owen, thanks. Uh, anywhere we can find you, other you're 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 doing the podcast rounds. No, don't find me. It's fine. So okay, Andy, Ryan, anything you wanna you wanna publicize? Are you <laughs> just Andy, Ryan? Any, no, anywhere no. that you are, you are you still looking over your shoulder, like just making sure I'm not following you. No, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to your next uh, your next trip. I, I hope it's I in April with my son, but it's looking less and less likely. But uh, one more time, just for posterity's sake, fifteen hug, eleven hug, twelve hug. <laughs> I, I got I gotta have something to go for. All right, and Kevin, appreciate it. Um, is he in? Uh, is he playing football this uh, this winter? What's he up to? What's, what's his football right now? Uh, well, he's about to go to Spain, um, and then Germany, and he's doing trials with uh, professional sides. Keep this name. Keep Ian. It's I A I N Macintosh uh, in your in your search history. Google him. Hopefully, within a couple of years, you'll see pictures of him playing football, not doing other things. Um, but you never know what that guy <laughs> so uh, he's a precocious 18 year old so anyway thanks for joining us this has been the Gooners podcast more after West Ham and come on you Gooners cheers <laughs>